0: Welcome back to Evolving Prisons. Today I chat with Fritzi Horstman. Fritzie is a prison reform activist based in the United States of America. She is the founder of Compassion Prison Project, with a goal to develop trauma-informed prisons throughout the United States and internationally, so that prisons are places of healing and education. They do this through their projects with incarcerated people and prison staff, focusing on trauma-informed awareness. Today, we speak about adverse childhood experiences, the negative impacts that trauma can have on prison staff and incarcerated people, and how our communities can begin to bring compassion to the people in prison who were often victims before they became perpetrators. As always, the hope is that this will ultimately create less victims of crime. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So, Fritzi, your background, interestingly, is in Hollywood as a producer and director. And then am I right in saying that you read a book a while back that changed the course of your life and actually brought you into being a prison reform activist?
1: Yes, I read The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And what I realized in that book is my behavior isn't who I am. And if you walk into a prison, everybody is being judged on their behavior. And when I walked into a prison, I didn't see people that were bad. I saw people that did a bad thing, did a horrible thing, but they're not, they weren't bad people. And they are, most of them are mortified at what they've done. And so when you have that, that awareness about somebody, how can you treat them the way we're treating the people that live in prisons? And honestly, I think, how can we treat the people that work in prisons the way we're treating them? Subjecting them to, punishing people the way they are and and witnessing the destruction and the deterioration of our citizens. It's, it's a crime. It's a crime. The whole criminal justice system is a crime. And it's what I like to say is that it's a trauma response. And when someone hits you, your first instinct is to hit them back. Right. Or as the Bible says, an eye for an eye. So that's kind of like built into our, into the way we're created. But that keeps us in a lower part of our abilities. That keeps us in an, I call it the animal part of our brain. But when we when we ascend, and interestingly, it is an ascension to this part of our brain, which I would also label consciousness. When we get to that part of our brain, we don't want to hurt other people because of what they've done. We want to say, what happened? What's going on? Why are you doing this? Kind of like a parent would do to their child when they're they're acting out or whatever. So... I would say most people that are committing crimes are acting out in a big way in a way that their needs have never been met and this is the only way they know how to get their needs met it's the only way they've been taught how to get their needs and so if we as a society can rise up to our cortex rise up to our prefrontal cortex become conscious about what we're doing it's an opportunity to change everything and you know people are say, say to me this is going to take a long time to turn the ship around And I say two things. First of all, it's not a ship. And second of all, who says it has to take a long time? Why don't we all just wake up right now and just say, wow, what we're doing was bad. No one's at fault. No one's at blame. This is inherited from centuries of of fight or flight behavior. And let's get on with it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because I think people have this belief that if something takes a long time, it will take a long time. But actually, if you, if you give yourself a week to do something, it'll take a week. If you give yourself an hour to do something, it'll take an hour. You know, a lot of personal development, people say that. And I've heard that before about the prison system, changing the cultures in a prison. And people say, oh, it takes decades. But actually, a previous guest of mine, I spoke to him about um, culture in prisons in America. And he said, I did it in 18 months everybody before him had said, oh, it's going to take such a long time. And it was all about prison officers and how prison officers see people in prison and the, the beliefs and values that those prison officers hold true. You know, for example, if the prison officers are coming in and they believe that people in prison can't change, then how are they going to treat them? But if we treat them as you're saying that actually people in prison are hurt and hurt people hurt other people, so let's look at them, see them for their vulnerabilities. They've maybe had such a difficult upbringing and actually help them, you know, don't, don't treat them badly because if we treat them bad, they're just going to behave worse.
1: Exactly. It's, you know, whenever someone, someone treats you badly, it's hard for you to want to treat them nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard. And I don't know if you've heard of David Hawkins. Let me just give you one quote that he says. He says, Be kind and forgiving to everything and everyone, including yourself at all times without exception.
0: Mm, lovely.
1: And um that's what's up for us as a, as a human species is what's kindness look like? What does that look like? And that's what fills us up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love my job. I love doing what I'm doing every day. I'm so excited. And I know that because I'm I'm filled up. I'm feeling pretty full. I don't have to take advantage of the world around me. You know, I'm, and I'm starting to question like, why do I want that thing? Why do I feel like I have to sit and watch Netflix? Why do I want to hide in my room instead of interact with my family? Those are all trauma responses. And so that's the awareness. And that's what's, that's what we all need to start doing as we grow and evolve. And What's being called upon us as a species, I believe is for us to grow and evolve because we're not going to survive if we don't. Mm -hmm. And what happens when we grow and evolve is we can start coming together because the ego, it's really about getting the ego out of the equation.
0: Yeah, because all based choices.
1: (laughs) Yes, because the ego wants attention and wants validation and it will do what it has to do to get that. But if paradigm says, well, wait a second, we're all in this together, everyone is important. So I'm gonna see you, I'm gonna love you, but we gotta stop the shenanigans. Yeah. I mean
0: And it's not about um, you know, seeing that people in prison, it's not about us saying what they've done is okay. But if Mm. we can appreciate, if we can meet them where they're at and appreciate that they've had a lot of trauma, difficult upbringing, then we can almost help be that change for them rather than trying to always feed the revenge element of us that every human has. I'm not sure about yourself. You probably have been um, asked about this a lot as well, but a lot of people will say to me, what if one of your family members was to be hurt or killed by somebody in prison? Would you want them to be treated well? Of course, the revenge element of us thinks absolutely not. But for there to be less victims of crime and for these people to come out better people than when they went in, I use the word better, but less traumatized, we need to treat them better. Yes, and everyone's first response
1: is vengeance. So that's just a trauma response and we can acknowledge that and that's okay. There's a great film called The Prison Within. I just did an interview with the director and two of the participants in the film. And one of the women, her husband was killed by a gang member and he was an officer okay. and she fought for the death penalty. That's what she wanted. And she got the death penalty for this man. When she got home, she got depressed for two or three years and realized that that did not make her whole. That didn't bring her relief And she has been trying to get this man off death row, first of all, and now she's advocating against the death penalty. And so those responses are survival responses. So, you know, someone hits you, your body feels like it's in danger and it wants to fight back. We get that. And then you look around and you say, well, I'm not in danger anymore. I'm devastated by what happened, but I'm not in danger. You know, I'm now, my body's fully traumatized, but I'm not in danger. So it's about, and I don't want to sound like um, some proselytizing, you know, Christian or Buddhist, but it's about recognizing the God in us. And if you are a God, if you, then you are a God, you are divine. You are, because we are spiritual beings walking in this human body. Yeah. If you are that divine human, what do you want for that person? What do you want for the person who destroyed your life? What do you want? Yeah, and, but
0: seeing them as their highest self, isn't it? Rather than, as you say, they're, they're not what they did, that is their behavior, but see them as what they're capable of.
1: Exactly, there's, um, and I've been quoting this a lot lately, so forgive me, but in The Course of Miracles, I don't know if you've ever heard of that book, but
0: yes, I have.
1: I'm i doing a workbook right now and, and they said that God or the universe doesn't need to forgive anyone because everyone is perfect. Everyone has never been not perfect. And it's us as divine humans in this physical form that needs forgiveness to help us get to that point. Forgiveness is the path to remembering our divinity. And so with that in mind, then what are prisons for, right? What are we What are we doing? The only thing I can then say prisons are for is to help people remind them of who they are and keep them away from society until we know we can trust them and you know that can happen in 10 days that can happen in 10 years whatever the time is but i think that time should not be life should not be the death penalty because we're here to figure it out we're here i think we're here to work on ourselves and i mean i believe in karmas. i mean i believe in re- reincarnation and karma so and i don't want to get esoteric i'm sorry <laughs> No no,
0: not at all. I, I am very much like you. i I do believe in karma. I am so passionate about personal growth, mindfulness, all that all that sort of thing, higher powers. So no, i'm I'm with you on that, and I, I believe the same for prisons. I'm so passionate about them being places of growth for people and realizing who they truly are. It's not about them becoming better people. It's about them shedding all those limiting beliefs that they've been brought up with by their caregivers.
1: Exactly. So, and so you cannot even blame the caregivers. That's the thing. But I think we have to educate the caregivers of like, by the way, you're divine, you're perfect human. You got some problems and let's work on them. You know, let's give you, and I don't mean to be glib about that, but you know, that's what I discovered in the past three years is I learned about how amazing I am, how amazing everybody is. And I was always taught that if I say I'm amazing, that means that's going to threaten everybody else. So I'm not allowed to say that. Yes. Well, no, you know, we're all amazing. You know, now who the heck am I to say that? I'm doing amazing things. And so are you, you know, you're doing amazing things. And so are the guys in prison. And so are the women in prison. You know, the assets that we're, we're leaving in prison have the ability to heal their, their communities. If they heal their communities, Then we're having people that are not walking around traumatized. You know, you want to give bootstraps, you want to give some bootstraps, bring healed people from prison back into the communities and give them a chance. We'll give, everybody will get their bootstraps. Yeah. And, you know, we're depriving ourselves of that by worrying about, you know, am I too fat? By the way, I've gained 10 pounds through covid
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think the fact that we're we're making our way through covid is the the one thing to be happy about isn't it whatever way we got through it
1: <laughs> but we're criticizing people we're you know we're judging people and that's because we're criticizing ourselves and judging ourselves and we stop stop the noise and really let's tune into what matters and what matters is connection and and community and love yeah. Full stop.
0: Yeah. And humanity. Yeah. Um, so pretty. obviously you have your your business now, Compassion Prison Project. It's based on the adverse childhood experiences. So yes. for people who don't know what ACEs, as they can be called, for people who don't know what they are, do you want to just tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So it's a quiz created by Robert Anda and Vincent Folletti of CDC and the Kaiser Permanente in the late nineties. And what they found is that the more adverse childhood experiences a person have, the more adverse health effects they have later in life. And so here are the top 10 adverse childhood experiences. There's physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical and emotional neglect, parent or caregiver addicted to drugs or alcohol, parent or caregiver mentally ill, suicidal, or depressed, domestic violence, parents divorced or separated, and a family member going to prison. So of those, I have eight of them. I have eight of those. I was a highly traumatized child and I've been traumatized basically until I read that book, Body Keeps the Score. And that's when when the awareness came and that's when I started learning about what trauma does and what what I need to do to help heal my trauma. Now, my eight aces have nothing to do with the eight aces of somebody who is in prison. Because I didn't grow up with worrying about if I was safe getting home from school. I didn't grow up not having my mother home, being in foster care, being homeless, being in juvenile justice, having cops assault me, having traumatic brain injury, which just so you know, March is Traumatic Brain brain Injury Awareness Month. And we're doing a full awareness campaign. And so if any of your listeners want our packet, we can send you a PDF. I don't know how to, I don't know how we're doing that, but reach out somehow and we'll send it to you. Brilliant. Um, Traumatic brain injury presents the same way as being traumatized as a child. So basically what it does is it puts you in your brainstem, puts you in survival mode, puts you in fight or flight. And when you're in that state, your prefrontal cortex is offline. And think of a time like when somebody's cut you off or someone's cursed you out and next thing you know, you're cursing at them back. You don't even know what you've said, but suddenly you're you're doing things and saying things you would never do if you were in a calm state. Yep. And that's basically what happens with people who commit crimes for the most part. I mean, some of it's premeditated, but what state are they in this premeditation? So in that state... You're not thinking like a human. You're thinking like an animal. You're thinking like, I got to take care of this. I got to kill this person. or I got to rob this thing because this is the problem I'm presented with. And it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense to the body. So it's the body keeping the score. It's the body doing this activity. And the body's going to keep you in this state until it feels safe. And so the only way our society can change is if we feel safe. As if we take it down as one, one warden said in Germany says, we got to take it down, take it down. So everybody feels, it's like, okay, no one's going to get hurt today. Promise, you know, and then, but then you have to deal with mental illness, right? You have to deal with someone who's having a psychotic episode. So that's what's happening in prison. And that's what's happening in homeless encampments. My son and I were walking past a, ha- a couple of homeless people and a guy came out with a machete. Wow. <laughs> And my son, he was like, we got to go home my, the day's ruined because he went into fight or flight. So I had to calm him down and talk him off the ledge. But had this been me five years ago, I would have gone home with him and like the day's ruined. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I digress, but this is the only way, same with Congress, same with politics. We've got to calm down and we've got to really sit down and say, what's going on here? We got to, we got to make some really serious decisions. And if you're in your cortex, you're doing what the best is for all for the situation, not for not for the corporations, maybe some for the corporations, we got to include them, but not solely for the corporations, not solely for the, the lobbyist who's paying you. You know, corruption is a trauma response too. It's a belief that we can't work it out correctly and it's, it's greed. So it's the whole thing is, I, I don't know why I keep talking about politics when I really, you know, I'm, I'm all about prisons, but... It affects us.
0: It affects and everything. Kind of touches everything, doesn't it? Where it can impact all different avenues of life.
1: Exactly. All systems affect all systems. You know, you corrupt your food system. People aren't getting the nutrition they want. Then they're not thinking well. So then the crimes committed. Then we have, you know, the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm. It,
1: you know, you can just take one little one little incident and see how it spirals, and one little thought. So, what are your thoughts? How are you contributing to? the betterment of the world or the destruction of the world. Everything is important, every single thing and everything matters. And that's why the people in prison matter. They, they're not in a vacuum just because I can't get to them, just because high desert prison is nine hours away from me. I'm still gonna get there because they need to know they matter because that changes them, that changes the prison, that changes their families, that changes those communities, that changes the world. And we don't we don't see that, and we don't see that we have agency
0: in this in this equation, and we all do.
1: Yeah, people can
0: just kind of turn their back because they don't see it. They don't see what happens in prison. They don't see these people. They're kind of locked away, and it's easy to forget. I can't remember who said the quote, but a quote that I really like is: "The degree of civilization in a society can be found by walking inside one's prison." And I I I truly believe in that. Ah, Well, yeah, love that quote. It's it's perfect. And it's so true.
1: Yes. And I think, you know, I've talked to a lot of prison administrators and because I'm working to get our curriculum into the, into all these prisons. And I see a genuine desire to make this shift. I just see, you know, the thing is they have to keep their staff safe. That's the golden rule there. if you if you can keep them safe, we'll try something, but we need to guarantee that they're safe. And so that's my work is to make sure those men and women living in prison understand they're traumatized and that this behavior is because they're in fight or flight. And I'm testament. in three years, I am no longer in fight or flight most of the time. My son will do something that used to spiral me out of control, my poor boy but I'm no longer reacting like that. And so if I can do it, I know that the guys in prison and the women in prison have much more trauma. It might take four years instead of three, but we can get this. We can turn this, not the ship around, but this, this problem around. And I'm not going to say four years. Why would it take four years? It took me three years. Cause I didn't know what I was looking for. I have all the information now, so we can just Cut to the chase, we're cutting to the chase here. Yeah. And not that you should not be accountable for what you did, even though you don't sometimes probably don't even remember doing it or why you did it. You gotta be accountable because that's how you transform. Yeah, That's the key here is like, I did this. Oh my God, I did this, I'm so sorry. That's who I am and, but that's not who I'm gonna be anymore. That's what accountability is. And immediately from the second you are accountable, You go right up to your prefrontal cortex, you're right up there and you get to stay there. And so, you know, the thing about being traumatized is you don't want to get caught and you don't want to be accountable because that means it enforces the shame that you've been living with. So it's courage. It's finding the courage to say, shoot, that's who I am. And, you know, to be able to do that with everyone that you can remember. And when it comes up, do it again, because... The garbage falls away, and like you're free. You're free. It's really the freedom. And so, you know, what is prison? Prison is the walls that we create that we think are keeping us safe, and they don't.
0: Yeah. So, I'd be interested to know. I remember in a talk that you did previously, you'd talked about the percentage of prisoners that actually have aces, and I think it was about ninety-eight percent. Is that right?
1: In our surveys, it was ninety-eight percent, but that was just the top 10 okay
0: wow okay
1: so we also have another 10 questions that we ask on our quiz so if you go by all 20 questions 100% are traumatized 100% wow. and that's all it takes is one traumatic event to change your brain to change, to make you feel like you're not safe if your parents are getting divorced there's violence in the home even though they are not there's no domestic violence that tension that annihilation that the desire to annihilate the other human being is observed and absorbed by the child. And it's dam- It's very damaging. It's damaging to the brain and it makes them feel not safe and it makes them feel not worthy. Not feeling worthy is damaging to the brain. Um, violence is damaging to the brain. Sexual abuse is severely damaging to the brain. And one of the worst ones is neglect. And so these are brain injuries that need to be dealt with. And you know, there are some people that cannot leave prison. But that doesn't mean they need to be destroyed. That doesn't mean they have to be treated and fed bad food and, you know, annihilated. We don't have to do that. And who are we as a society to judge anyone? I mean, who gave us the permission to judge? And if there's going to be judgment, it has to be more than 12 people. And it shouldn't be on a little stage that we've created in a courtroom. And we need everyone to acknowledge that we're all equal in the circle, including the person who committed the crime. He's equal because, or she's equal because she's human, because she's on this planet, because she's alive. And then we get to hear her story. What happened to you? And then we get to hear the story of the person that's been harmed. What happened to you? Well, you know, my, I don't have a husband anymore and I can't feed my family. Well, how are we going to fix this? But then we also have optics from the rest of the community that can also come in and help this. So, you know, it's all done in this isolation and in this sterile environment, which isn't true to what, what the circumstances require. And so 98% have at least one adverse childhood experience in prison. So we'll just stay with the top 10. 70 to 79% have it four or more. And so you're seven times more likely to go to prison if you have four or more. Okay. And then in our survey, 64% have six or more. And if you have six or more, your life expectancy goes down by 20 years. Wow. And so six or more, that's 64%. So two thirds of the prison have serious trauma. And, you know, that's what we have to look at as a society. If it's 98%, and, and I'm going to say it's not, it's 100% have been victims first, which is what we're dealing with, victims who've been never taken care of and never been held and never been afforded a chance to heal. What are we doing as a society? You know, where are we, where's our accountability? So that's the thing, right? Accountability. If we as a society take accountability, we ascend. We go into our cortex and get also, and that's what's up. That's why the reparations is so important. You know, I can't imagine what people are living through after all these crimes are committed. But what I do know is if we continue what we're doing, there's going to be more victims. 66% recidivism from after three years of being in prison, 66, it's two out of three people committing more crimes. And so prison isn't working. It's working for some people, but it's not working for society. It's not working for mothers and fathers who lose their families. So I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make lightly of my restorative justice circle idea. And I'm not saying that, but we should give this a try and really see how the victims feel after this circle has been done. Because here's the thing: repair needs to happen. And a repair is not happening with somebody sitting decaying in a prison cell. That's not how we're we're making repairs.
0: We're just that are institutionalizing person.
1: them. Yes. Yes. And on that topic, I got a letter from a, a guy who was in a level four prison and he went into a level two. So level four is highly restrictive. You know, every move is buttoned down. Level two is basically level one. It's like you can move around freely, go to all the programming you want. Doors are open basically from nine to nine, except for count when you have to be back in your cell. But So he said I got there and I was like I thought somebody was gonna turn around and say gotcha You know, he just didn't believe that he had this kind of freedom And it was really hard for him for a few weeks At least I think he's still probably dealing with it to deal with the the freedom same with when you put someone in solitary And right now there's a lot of people on death row in california that you know Gavin newsom our governor said we're gonna spread them out throughout the prison system well what you've done is you're, you've got people who've been isolated for 10, 20, 30 years. And then you can't just throw someone into a hostile political environment and say, go, you know, you can't do it.
0: You know, they're going to want to stay in their cells and hide. Of course, their mental health's been impacted being in solitary for such a long time, putting them out into the, the community, if you like, or just into a prison with other people, you're putting people at risk.
1: Exactly. And the stigma of the death penalty, which there has to be a stigma, a campaign to say, you know, the death penalty is LWAP. It's the same thing. You can't say someone's condemned and make a different differential. And, and I'm, I'm going to have to figure out a way to make that that point clear to people, especially if we're going to start integrating people. But it's very disturbing. What from their perspective, I you know, one of my pen pals alerted me to this. So. That's what's at stake here, is, is keeping everybody whole while they're in prison. That's the thing. Or letting them learn how to be whole. <laughs> I get so upset.
0: I can tell you're so passionate about it from watching videos that you've done and things. And that's what prison reform needs, is, is people who genuinely want to make a difference. So I highly recommend listeners to look at your documentary, Step Inside the Circle, that's on your website. I watched that quite a while ago, actually, and it genuinely brought me to tears watching that. It was so heartbreaking to see all these people stepping in, stepping in, stepping in. It was just, yeah, heart-wrenching. And at the end, there's a man who says to you, thank you, this has been the best day of my life. And that was me gone. I was just sobbing. And are you doing that in lots of prisons now? or Because I was in California, was it? Yes, and that was... 3 weeks before the pandemic um
1: okay. before they sh- no, it was a, about a month before they shut the doors completely and so we haven't we've been to one prison since and then a omicron came so then now we're back but now things are starting to open up again so i'm i'm hoping to go get going i want to get going i'm also going to scotland
0: oh amazing
1: to go to four prisons and do four circles in four different
0: prisons So fantastic. So what's the, so the purpose behind the circle, correct me if I'm wrong, is it's to really bring people in prison together and show them you are not your behavior. You've been traumatized or is it something else? So the the circle
1: is based on the adverse childhood experiences quiz. So, you know, if your parents abuse you as a child physically, take a step inside the circle. So each participant takes their steps if this is true for them. And so we have the, the 20 questions. And what happens in that circle is everybody looks around and it's like, wait a second, I'm not the only one that's been abused by my mother that has been neglected. And, you know, and the guys that are way, way in there and like, so even the guys that have two, and sometimes the two are um, divorced and sexual abuse, right? So, or they'll have maybe just one. And then you're like, how, why are they in prison? It's like, because they had one. <laughs> Up to 87% of men in prison have traumatic brain injury that's game over right there for most, for most people. But so it's that moment when you realize that you're not alone in this and that this is, we have more in common than we ever thought we did. And whether I'm a crip or a blood, I've been beaten by my mother, whether I'm a Palestinian or an Israeli, I'm worried about bombs dropping on my house. So we're all living in a prison and we all are traumatized in, you know, and I know some people don't want to list, even deal with it or even look at it. The first time I took the ACE quiz, I thought I had four. That was denial right there. In honest a sense, it's like, you know, and then I started diving in. I'm like, wait, well, one of them is domestic violence, but it's, it's actually in, in the, as it's written, it's about a woman being abused by a man when it was my mother abusing my father. So I had to say, no, that's an ACE. I'm claiming that as one of my ACEs because you know, anybody who treats anybody badly hurts the brain. And then think of first responders, they're all traumatized. Yeah. From correctional officers to policemen to firemen, they're all, because vicarious trauma, seeing somebody killed or burned or destroyed tells the body it's not safe. Tells the body it's not safe to be al- alive. That's the first part of the work. This, the next part of the work is to realize how amazing we are but you gotta get over what happened to you as a child. And remember, it's not what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you. And that's the thing, the shame the shame on top of trauma is what keeps us thinking something's wrong with us. And that's, that's not a fact. The fact is you've been traumatized, there is no shame and you're perfect.
0: So you've got a lot of projects um, going on, but two that I'm interested in talking to you about most is your trauma talks and also the trauma informed training for prison officers. Because as, as you just said there, people who work in emergency services, they are traumatized yes. and we don't speak about it enough. And I don't think the public realize it enough. It's maybe just not something they think about, but you'll know this correctional officers um, as they're called in America, their life expectancy is 59 years old. And that is so young. And I don't think people know that. And I don't think that they know that they're more likely to kill themselves. They're more likely to, their relationship falls apart. And, you know, they're more likely to have heart attacks and things. And that's terrifying. And I know you'll know a lot more about it than me. So just tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing with prison officers.
1: You can't help the incarcerated without helping the officers because... You have to teach everyone about trauma and what trauma does. That's why it's called trauma-informed. Our mission at CPP is to create trauma-informed prisons and communities. That's that's what we're doing. And basically spreading awareness about the fact that everyone is traumatized. So I just, I just met a correctional officer that I hope to be working with. And he's in charge of wellness. The reason I reached out to him, because he's aware of the issues that correctional officers are facing. And not only, you know i'm fifty nine years old. So I can't imagine having my life over right now. I mean, literally, I feel like I'm just getting started. I feel like the past three years have been the most important three years of my life. And the officer I was talking with, he said, one of the people I was working with, he retired at fifty five and he died six months later. Wow. And you know, what a tragedy. What a tragedy, not just for the family, but for the people working with him, for his community. and, what great things did he leave on the table that we didn't get to experience from him? And so wellness is urgent, is urgent in all, in the whole entire prison system. One of the things that I've come across in my research about officers is a there's a thing called moral injury. And the thing about moral injury, if you do things that are against your moral fiber or against your, or you see things that are done and you don't say anything about them, what happens is if it happens repeatedly you lose your sense of empathy and if we're dealing with people with mental health issues in prison and you don't have empathy it's just a it's a recipe for disaster yeah and so you know when i read that when i well, actually i heard that in a podcast and i was like oh my god this is this has to be brought to light we have to cuz prisons are basically a paramilitary installation so it's us versus them and my thing is i don't think there is any them it's all us so why are we why are we treating people like they're other they're not you know it's a dehumanizing thing and it's it's a trauma response dehumanization is a trauma response it's a way to justify treating someone badly it's a way for to justify committing a crime to dehumanize the other side and that's just old style we're not we're we're new style now. we got a whole new world we got to build here. and um, the thing is we could build a paradise here. we could be living in paradise and yet people are are afraid they're afraid to take that step. It's really like taking a step and instead we're just double downing on the on the fear. So if we take care of the officers and I really think that's it's almost more important in a in a certain way, but I'm just gonna figure out how to do both. Um, trauma talks, it's a 12part video series that we're creating and it includes interviews from all the top trauma experts that I've done on my podcast, but also um, materials that we're finding that help illustrate points you know you don't want me sitting there talking a talking head the whole time. So we've curated things from the internet and put them into one hour programs. The idea is you watch the program and then you sit in circle for two hours and talk about what you've seen. And it's in that, two hours is when the magic happens because when you're in a group and you're talking about trauma, you're talking about developmental trauma or you're talking about your symptoms of trauma. What happened? You know, why can't I sleep at night? Why isn't my digestion good? And, um, you know, I see trauma everywhere now, everywhere I go. That's all I do is I see trauma. It's in the grocery store. It's on the street. It's, it's driving you know, if we want to, if we want to change the world, that's what we, we have to look at and we have to start addressing, but sitting in groups is probably the most healing thing you can do for your brain because it's serve in response. It rewires your brain and it, it, because the circle is a circle of equals, it brings value to yourself just by showing up. It allows you to see that you're equal with your fellow humans so that's that's what we're doing. And then we have the workbook for them to work on later after the after the circle's done. And there's one group at Valley State Prison, I call them my advanced placement group, because they're they've been going through through the workbook page by page for their groups. So they just they'll just pick two pages and talk about that for two hours. And but that's it. The the thing about trauma, there's so much material to talk about. And everybody needs to talk about it. So if one guy, so you know, sometimes people, one person will take up the whole session, well, good then Fred can go for the next session and get his needs met. But, you know, it's all all about checking in and how's everybody doing? What's happening? You know, we start with the check-in, you know, hi, I'm Fritzy. I'm checking in and I'm feeling anxious. Um, Someone might pick up on that and say, hey, I heard when you checked in that you're feeling anxious, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe the whole conversation is about that instead of, you know, what's in our curriculum, which says, you know, how did you feel about learning about the symptoms of trauma or whatever the, the prompt is, but that could be what's important. And what's important for me is important for everybody else. You know, I've been wondering about what we're doing in prisons for years. I was like, why are we doing this? This doesn't seem to make sense. But it wasn't until I walked into a prison that I said, oh, I got to do something. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, but I just make it up every day as I go along and something seemed to be sticking. So I, I'm glad about that, but... I urge the people listening, you know, if you see something, do something. I mean, you don't have to start an organization, but, you know, maybe somebody's hungry. Maybe someone just needs, you know, to be talked to for a little bit. What is it that you can bring to the table that'll change someone's life? And in doing so, change your own. That's what's available. And it's not, you know, a new Lexus. It's not a new house. It's not a new dress or a jacket. Although sometimes it's okay to have a new jacket.
0: But yeah, but it's not happiness, isn't in the next thing, is it?
1: No, it's in working with other people and and by doing so. So what service does is you start seeing your own divinity in play. There's nothing else that shows that in such a bright light. It shines into the, the light of the people you're serving and they shine it right back. And how great to see how bright and beautiful you are. Mm
0: -hmm. That's lovely. Um, Speaking with you is such an honor. You're such a beautiful human with everything that you're doing. It's lovely. Um, So I just want to ask if there were correctional officers listening to this podcast, what kind of tips would you give them if they don't have your program in their prison? What kind of tips would you give them to make sure that they're looking after their well-being in the job that they're doing?
1: Oh, absolutely. First thing I would do is I would take the adverse childhood experiences quiz, which is on my website. Next, I would take the PTSD civilian test to see where they where they land on PTSD symptoms. I would get into a group. I would create a group. I would find a group to start talking about what's going on, how you're feeling. Even if it's AA and you're not an alcoholic, just something to get yourself into a group so people can see you and you can start talking. It's really, it's just we die in isolation. Trauma separates us. Trauma makes us feel like we're separated. You know, if you're going and you're sitting in a restaurant and your back's up up against the wall, you probably have some symptoms of PTSD. And I would start a wellness program in your prison. I would reach out to Desert Waters, reach out to Compassion Prison Project. We have some information. If we don't have, if we haven't worked on our curriculum yet, we're still developing that. And we're also talking with other curriculums to see if they they match up with what we're doing so we may have something in the near future. You know, I really want I'm asking this correctional officer that I'm I'm in t- contact with to start a group. It's like let's start a group. Let's start a national group. Let's get a Zoom call going once a month if we can start and eventually once a week and let's let's get this conversation started. There's no shame in how you're feeling. There's no shame in not being able to deal with the demands of your job because your job is asking you to be in fight or flight 100 percent of your life because you can't after, you know, after you've had to respond to a call, after there's a an assault or a suicide, you're on adrenaline, you're high and you're you're wired and you can't come down from that. It could take days or weeks or a lifetime. And so, you know, you need to learn how to deal with the stress. You got to get that energy out of your body because if it doesn't, it metastasizes and it it goes into your heart. You know, it's not just an injured brain, it's a broken heart. That's what we're dealing with, with both correctional officers and people in prison. It's injured brains and broken hearts. And how much pain and and violence can a a person stand? Clearly not. They can't. And so we're not, let's stop being at war with each other. Let's be, let's find peace, you know, safe peace. I'm not saying, you know, open the cages and, and let everybody out and not have a, you know, something that makes sense. But I'm also saying, treat them humanely. If nothing else, it'll come back to you, and you'll know that you're being you're doing the best you can in this circumstance. And you know, reach out. For, we are working on our trauma-informed curriculum or there are other trauma-informed curriculums, but not the not the baloney ones, not the like, yeah, now everybody's trauma informed. Trauma-informed means knowing knowing what an aCE is, knowing what child abuse does to a brain, knowing that when someone is yelling, we call it trauma glasses. This was from one of from the psychologist that's working with us. Just put on your trauma glasses. If someone's acting out, that's how they met, got their needs met for years and years. You know, we're all letting things go fallow. Prisons are like they're trauma centers and they're being treated like deserts. We can bring them life and and joy. And you know, that's one of the symptoms of being an officer. Like 20% don't feel joy. Or a sense of of importance in their lives. I mean, I mean, it's like they have to turn themselves off. They have to turn off all the joy, because they have to turn off all the feelings. So you, once you turn off one feeling, you turn off all feelings. Yeah. And to me, that is that is one of the biggest crimes of that job. I mean, I used to work in corporations for corporations, so I had to turn off my feelings, and I knew I knew that this was just death, and I got out of there. Well, not soon enough, but I'm just. I'm just so passionate about getting people taken care of so that they're, you know, I want people to know that brains are injured. And so you know what it means when their brains are injured? They don't understand what officers are talking to them about. They don't understand how to follow instructions. Sometimes people need an instruction repeated three or four times before they know what they're saying. But if they don't know this, if the officer doesn't know this, that person might end up in solitary confinement. That person might have an extended sentence for defiance. So it's really important that we really start communicating and understanding where we are in our brains. You know, if we don't have these tools, I want every tool. That's why I'm like, come on, you got to get this done so we can mail it. So we, everybody, I want March to be the month, but I'm, you know, I'm a little, little nuts, but They're dealing with it, my poor team, but I love them and they they know I love them. And I make sure they go take time off, go do it. Do what you have to do. The point is, we're in this together. Let's teach the rules of love now. It's time, we don't have time to continue making rules upon rules to keep control people. Just love them, love them. And they will, we won't need rules. Yeah, so-
0: Incredible, Fritzi. Um, you're such a, a wonderful person. The work you're doing is incredible. You're such a passionate person and I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. So I will urge listeners to go to Compassion Prison Project, your website, and have a look. You've got so much information on there that people can use to learn more about what you do, more about ACEs, more about trauma. But I just can't thank you enough for speaking with me today because it's it's been incredible.
1: Thank you so much. And I just wanted to say something to you. You know, if you can see the beauty in another person, that means you can see it in yourself. Like if you spot it, you've got it. It's like what I like to say. So well done on you that you have such a big heart and such a magnanimous view of the world.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I'd be grateful if you could please rate this podcast in the Spotify or Apple app. If you have experience of working in or living in prisons around the world and would like to be a guest on this podcast, please go to evolvingprisons.com and fill in the contact form to contact me.